Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that really gets riled up when politicians start to speak. I'm Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. He is Andrew Page, the man, the myth, the legend, the entrepreneur, the businessman, <laughs> the man who makes things happen. <laughs> I, I'm gone. How are you, mate? <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty good. Uh, okay. How are you? How are you? I'm, mate, very, very, very well. Uh, absent, absent an answer to a, to a question that's been puzzling me for the last seven or so days. Well, let's see if I can help. Not sure, man. Not sure. There's this thing called strawman.com, mm-hmm. right? And I, I, when I think of it, I think of you. So, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming there's some connection there somewhere. Mm. I just can't quite. I can't quite close the loop. I can't quite uh, join the end of the circle. Uh, insert terrible business metaphor here. Just trying to work out what strawman.com is. And I wonder if you might be the bloke to ask for help. Well, I, I'll, I'll do what I can. I'll just quickly apologise on your behalf uh, to all the listeners and <laughs> and say that it is a, a private online investment club, as you well know. If I was going to apologise for something, it would be for, because I had shame at what I was doing. The fact that I have no shame means I don't have to apologise, <laughs> not because it's not justified, just because I don't feel the need to actually apologise, which is the which is the problem in itself. Uh, maybe enough. New Year's resolution, mate. We're getting to that part of the year. Maybe, maybe New Year's resolution, I might have to switch that up a little bit directly. Okay. Well, I'll live in hope. <laughs> I wouldn't fault you. Do you, do you. You're only the pessimist of the two of us, mate. You should be. Uh, you should be thinking. No, That's very true. That's very happen. true. Never going to happen, <laughs> uh, mate. We are recording this a little bit early, actually, this week. We've got uh, a busy week. I'm going to be up in Queensland, so uh, you, you've you've made yourself available early, which I appreciate. And I say that largely to tell our listeners. Uh, by now, you know what the inflation number was, but we don't. So uh, we know this week uh, in in advance, as we are now. Uh, that will be handed down. And in hindsight, when you're listening to this, you will know the answer to that. Uh, I am going to avoid us trying to prognosticate about what it might be and what it might mean. We might save that uh, for another podcast coming up sometime soon. Good plan. Um, other than to just reflect, as we did a little bit, mate, last week, so I'm not going not gonna to spend too much time on this one, but um, I, just, I think it's probably worth noting. Again, it feels weird doing this in advance, knowing that our listeners will know by now what's actually happened. Um, I... The more I think about Michelle Bullock's comments, mate, the more they seem to be very, very, very pointed and very deliberate. Um, hawkish is the phrase or the word people use. Dovish when you kind of aren't going to be too tough. Hawkish when you're going to be tougher. Um, I don't know why you bother with hawks and doves and bulls and bears. I just anyway, we do. Um, Have you heard of a geez. crab market? I heard of a. I hadn't, I've been in this game for a long time, no. and someone mentioned a crab market to is me. That walking sideways like, or something? Is that? Yeah, I'm like, huh? I never heard of that phrase before. There you go. Um, All kinds of animals out there. Yes, exactly. Uh, she's been really, really hawkish. Though. I mean, I, the more mm. I think about those comments of like basically, hey, guys, it's not you, it's me. It's not global, it's domestic. And if it's too high, we're going to do something about it because we just need to. Yeah. Um, them's, them's fighting words coming into December, particularly with January, the RBA is not meeting. Uh, so whatever they do uh, in early December is going to take them through for the rest of the rest of the year and, and, you know, the first month of the next year. Mm. It does, it just makes me really mindful. And again, if the, if the number on Wednesday was, was low, then nothing to worry about. If the number was high, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I think she's, she can always walk back her comments, right? She can always walk back her sentiment. But mm. as I said, the more I think about it, the more I feel like they were really, really, really direct, tough words, really telegraphing her intentions. Yes. Although <laughs> it's what people often forget is that one of the, unofficial policy levers of the RBA is the so-called jawbone. <laughs> yeah, In other exactly. words, you 
you signal what your intentions may be, that, that can have the same impact as the actual yes, change correct. itself. <laughs> it's correct. And so they're there in Martin Place going, people are spending too much. <laughs> Put that aside yep. as, a, as a statement. Um, <laughs> we need to knock the wind out of their sails. We can yeah. increase interest rates. We have been. Um, mm-hmm. We've done it pretty aggressively. But if we just sort of hint very strongly that we're going to continue to do so, that <laughs> itself can have the desired impact. It's sort of like it's a way to have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. You know, you got to be careful with with what you do telegraph. There was a former RBA governor who telegraphed <laughs> ahead to 2024. <laughs> That's right. In a manner that didn't work no. out well for his career. Didn't go um, well, did it? Uh, even though we've sort of discussed that ad infinitum yeah. and is probably pretty unfair in, in the in the grand scheme of things, um, but but I think I, I suspect there's a part of it. I'm, not that I'm not that I'm disagreeing with you. I think that that mm. is very much her stance is that you know if we don't get this under control, I'm prepared to do what it takes. Which yeah. again, as I pointed out last week, shows you the ridiculousness of getting rid of Low because you've replaced oh, him totally. with someone who's doing yeah. exactly the same thing anyway, right? So yeah. Yeah. so that's that's the silliness of it. But but yeah, I. I, I I would be in her position doing the same kind of thing. You know, it's like we've I've, I've used this analogy a lot as well. When anyone who's got young kids knows that, you know, the threat is almost, you know, as potent as the actual punishment. That's so right, just, that's right. just if you don't behave yourself, this is going to happen. <laughs> Stop spending. Joke, like your mum would say, one, two, and then the kid's like, why don't they get to three? So I don't know. Just, you know that's, that's, that's enough. Never happened. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. That's right. It's – um. Yeah, it's a, hell, it's a hell of a thing. I did note, and just to kind of wade into the politics of it a little bit, um, on the day of the RBA speech last week, we did hear um, one of the ministers say, no, it's all, all global. And then on Thursday after Michelle Bullock's speech, the PM actually said, no, 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 it's all global, it's all supply chain, it's all this, it's all that. And I just, uh-huh. you know, I don't know. I, it's, it, it's, I can never decide chicken and egg on this stuff. You know, like on one hand, are they really, really surprised we don't trust them or we don't believe them when they just continue to spout that rubbish? The flip side, of course, is maybe it's still for them the worst of two evils because they admit it they're at anyway, so why bother telling the truth? And I can't decide what's what's more depressing, the fact that they lie to us expecting us to believe it or they lie to us knowing that we don't believe it, but if they told us the truth, they'd be even less popular. They're both both pretty awful outcomes. Maybe there's a third one, which is actually a conviction politician who said the told the truth might actually win one day. Um, they're not prepared to try that strategy for, for no. either for, for very good reasons. Maybe maybe it is absolutely political suicide. Yeah, no, it's actually about us. Sorry, guys. Yeah, uh, we didn't do enough. Sorry, we screwed up. Uh, we won't even fix it because we can't be bothered and you might vote against us, but so it's all on Michelle. Yeah. Uh, that's probably not going to happen anytime soon either, is it? Oh, uh, there's, there's, there's zero chance of that happening. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is the natural end game really of 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 our situation. I, I I think sometimes, I mean, we all live in our own bubble and you and I will chat for ages about all this stuff because <laughs> we're these like nerd idiots that just read and, and all, all of like yeah. anything yeah. that's on this stuff, we just sort of we're across. Forgetting mm-hmm. that other people have just got more interesting interests and, yeah. and things going on in their lives where it's just not the, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> trying to say that other people are really informed. They're not. They're just, they've got other priorities and, you know, so you, you assume that, everyone in the country is looking at what you're looking at and has thought about it rather deeply. And it's like, no, we're just trying to get food on the table here and get on with our lives and yeah. deal with the other 50,000 balls we've got in the air and, and the rest of it. And so so when you hear the five-second, you know, grab on the news or on the radio when you're driving around, you go, oh, yeah, he said it was uh, 
It's global in nature. It makes sense. It resonates with some of the other things I've heard. Move on, right? And fuel more expensive. Of, of course, it is. That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you, you might be sitting there going, "Oh, no one's going to buy that." It's like, no, no, no. Plenty <laughs> people buy it. it. <laughs> What's the old corporate profiteering thing, right? Oh, if we're losing coals, we're profiteering. Inflation should be lower. And it's just like, and I, I've said it on Twitter so many times. Okay, so here broadly, can I just explain to you that supermarket margins are 6%. If they fell to 4%, you would save $2 a $100 shop, which yes. would be nice, but that is not that is not 10% inflation, people. It's not 8% inflation. It, groceries are 10% of the of the CPI basket. And of that, maybe half a percentage point is grocery prices. If you're not what's so generous, you know, if you if you really want to stick it to Woolies and Coles, like you bastards are responsible for a price to go half a percent. Yeah. So inflation's eight and a half or five and a half. Where's, where's the rest of it coming from? Oh, no, it's called for profiteering. It's like, oh, I, I hear you, but it's just it's just not. And that's, it's, you know, as you say, people don't want to hear it. They, they've made up their minds or they don't care or something just sounds right. Yeah, of course, those bastards, big business, they do that sort of thing. So therefore, you know, they're the bad guys. Well, yeah. it doesn't quite work that way. Anything that resonates with your existing prejudice or bias is very powerful. I catch myself from time to time. Something happened on the weekend with us where someone – painted a picture that was negative on property and I just flew off, you know, I didn't do it like just red to a bull. I just ran with it before my wife sort of touched me on the arm and sort of said, no, they're saying the opposite point. I was like, oh yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, I'm so in this little self-referential bubble that you, do you know what I mean? And it's oh, just awesome. sort of like, I'm, I'm, I'm two miles down the track before I've just caught myself and thought, oh yeah. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Disregard. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, I um, but we're all like that though. We are. Yeah. I think yes, oh, great, course, we've all got our. You know, and it's it's sort of. Yep. So one of the I said to you mm-hmm. just off air as well. We had a really great chat at Strawman with a gent mm. called uh, Peter Wargent, who's a, who's yep. a bit of a property. I hate the term guru, but I'll, I'll call him a property Mogul. guru. <laughs> Mogul is another one. Um, really great guy. He's on on X and or Twitter or whatever you want to call it. Twitter. And, and you know, call it X on this podcast. We, yeah, Twitter. Twitter, let's, let's stick with that. <laughs> anyway, so I wanted to get him on because I thought oh. we had Matt Barry from Freelancer. He's probably one of the biggest property bears in the world. You know where you I sort about of stand. you talk about Freelancer you spend the whole time talking about property? Uh, it was 50-50. <laughs> and, we only, and we only talked about Freelancer because I started off on that. You know, we are ostensibly about stocks here, but we very we spent a lot of time on property. I can imagine. But I, I mean, like this is this is the. I'm actually, I, I'm not more than paying lip service to this. Whether it's mm. this or anything, I, I think it's really important to get the other side of the debate here and and understand. You know, what am I missing here? I'm gonna mm-hmm. come into this eyes wide open, completely open minded. Like, if I'm wrong, I want to know I'm wrong. Let me know. You know, yeah. type yeah. type thing. And it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable to mm-hmm. do. Um, I don't know if my mind was changed, <laughs> but Pete made some really good points, you know. And again, it's just sort of like we we generalize here too, because it's the same as someone buying a you know penny dreadful stock, having a bad experience, and saying oh, equity investing is for, is a mugs game. We would probably take issue with that, saying, "Well, oh, you're extrapolating yes. a lot there, and you're missing a lot there." And I I, I do recognize I'm guilty of that as well. So it is every now and then it's good to sort of. Check yourself before before you wreck yourself, as they and, say. Oh, yeah. oh there you go. <laughs> that's got that's got bumper sticker written all over it. There you go. Did you just come up with that, or was that one that's already been around somewhere? Oh, I'm I'm pretty sure it was me. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. I've not heard that before, but I I like you it. Go, I'm you seriously? Oh, well, okay. I'm absolutely not going to ever use that, but I like it. Okay. Good. I'll tell you the uh, reference later. <laughs> oh, dear. That bad? No, no, no. Okay, good. Uh, let's go, let's move on to you know, re-edit the whole podcast. Let's go from you spoke about housing, mate, and um, 
I don't know. I I almost feel like I don't want to have this conversation because it's stupid and we've done it before and here we are again, right? Firstly, that's not unusual for us, so let's do it anyway. Secondly, I'm going to do it because (laughs) Senator Andrew Bragg, God love him, has decided yet again that he found something else we can use superannuation for. Uh, when in government, they wanted us to use it for jet skis and TVs and covid related stuff. And uh, and they've talked about before about using it for housing. So now he's back at it again. There's nothing super can't be used for. By the way, bipartisan, Jim Chalmers wants to use super for aged care and healthcare. So, you know, everyone wants their their, their little uh, piece of the, the honeypot that is superannuation. Andrew Bragg, uh, over last weekend, or weekend just gone, uh, talked about the fact that not only not, they shouldn't be able to use super to take money out anymore, but they should be able to use super to offset your mortgage. Effectively, I know you love mortgage offsets, Andrew, so you'll, you'll be a big fan of this. Love that. Uh, Great. Yep. <laughs> so now now he's, he wants to use super to uh, to offset mortgage repayments because of he does. if you can't take it out, you can at least use it for that instead. And, mate, I just – I am at one ropeable and almost just over it, and I'm not going to be over it because letting this go without comment is exactly what they hope might happen so that maybe possibly – It'll get some support, and if no one speaks up against it, then hey, presto, all of a sudden we're using super for housing. Just as I said, we shouldn't use it for aged care. Just as I said, we shouldn't use it for COVID relief and everything else that people wanted to use it for. And I just – so let's – let's let, let me just wind it back. Rather, rather than starting with a rant, let me let me just work this through, right? But we will get to it. We're not, well, we're not starting with it, but we will, we will get to we it. We will end up at that. Yeah. Interest rate's about 6.5% on a mortgage right now, okay? If you have 100 grand – and instead of getting a return on it in super, you put it against the mortgage, you'll save yourself 6.5%. Now, that's a very significant saving. And I am the first one to say we should have a society where people can afford to buy a home. That should not be controversial. I also happen to live in a, think we should live in a society where people can actually save for retirement at the same time as paying off their own home because those things in the world's third richest country per capita should not have to be mutually exclusive. So there's that. And then mm-hmm. what I want people to really think about is the 6% they think they're saving with 100 grand actually doesn't compound, at least not in a meaningful way. Because if you were, say you're 25, and let's say you've got 100 grand in super, you probably don't because 25 years don't have 100 grand in super, but just let's work with it for fun. Let's make it 30 just for fun. Over the following 35 years between that and retirement, now retirement's 67, but I can't do the maths over 37 years, so I'm going to go with 35. Uh, that 100 grand, if it was to compound at roughly the usual historical rate. Let's say it could double every seven years, just for fun, because it's five sevens are 35. Again, you can see how I'm making my maths easy. <laughs> you start with 100 yeah. grand. You double it once, that's 200 grand. Next time you add 100 grand, you double it again, so that's 400 grand. Then 800, then 1.6, then $3.2 million. Or you could still have 100 grand having offset your tax bill, your mortgage for 30 years, Yes, you would own your home. Yes, you would pay off the mortgage. That's all great. Really, really positive. But you haven't made a $3.2 million gain in the process. Mm. And this is why this is fundamentally completely screwy because at retirement, you have a home. Great. You'll also have 100 grand because you haven't earned any money on it yet because all you've done is use it to offset your account. So instead of having $3.2 million in super, you've got $100,000 in super. That's and worse. And that is the fund- well, that is the fundamental problem with what he's just now, people will say and have said to me on Twitter all week, yeah, but at least they get a home. It's really important to have a home. People should be able to retire and have a home. Yeah, of course they should. When we let our politicians or, or theorists, opinion leaders, lobby groups, think tanks, whoever they are, set something like this up as a binary option, you can have this or this, which one is better? 
Mm. It's, it's great. You're in court, right? Just answer the question. The witness will answer the question. Which one do you want? <laughs> but, but, but no, just answer the question. That's how they want you to think. It's called framing in mm. the psychology literature, right? You say to people, here's two choices. Which one do you want? You can't choose neither. You can't choose both. Which one do you want? Mm. Well, I guess a house is probably better than a super. Aha, I gotcha. So now you mm. think this policy is a good idea? Mm. No, no, no. It's just, you maybe make a choice. Mm. There are a dozen, two dozen ways to address housing affordability. Does not have to be superannuation. And when you let someone set it up that way, that's the circumstance you find yourself in. <sighs> so your point is 100% right, but, it, but, but I, I, it's worse than that. It's much worse than that. Because it actually doesn't afford uh, increase affordability. I mean, this is it, it's the same as the rant <laughs> on the first home buyer scheme or correct, anything. Just, all it, if all of a sudden we all have access to this big pot of money, and by the way, I have been calling this out for years that mm-hmm. that money will be touched. Often we get on the mailbag episode, you know, should I, shouldn't I maximize towards super? And my answer mm-hmm. is usually no, because. I, God only knows how that thing is going to change <laughs> over the next 30 years. And, I, and yeah. no politician or party of any particular stripe or colour is going to resist it. Like just, it's just not. We've seen it before and it's going to get a lot worse. Sorry, it's my, mm-hmm. my very firm opinion and this is more evidence more evidence of that. But mm-hmm. what it does, what it does is all of a sudden gives us all access to money we didn't previously have and guess what? We all bid up the price, in which case – there might be a slight advantage if there's a first mover advantage. You can get in there yeah. quick before that. That yeah, in the first, in the first six months, it's great. Yeah, it's brilliant. After, after that, we're locking it in. It just it does. Then then it's just like okay, now we find ourselves at another unsustainably mm-hmm. high plateau. What what rabbit can we pull out of the hat now? But not only that, mate. Not only that, you don't need a new rabbit. You can't put the other rabbit back in. Once no. everyone uses super, you can't not use super because it becomes unaffordable. The only yep. way to do it, but once once ratchet, house prices ratchet up to that new level, yep. you can't do it without using super. Yep. So then you've got to use super, and then, as you say, you're looking for the next rabbit. So it's it's, it's, it's ratcheting each step. Every time, I mean, John Howard said it. I saw this in an Alan Kohler piece last week. Um, you know, most people own their home outright or have a mortgage against it. Two thirds of the country. Yeah. No one ever came up. Howard said, no one ever came up to me and complained that their house was going up <laughs> in value. Right. Like, yeah. and and it yeah. is. It is. This is where the politicians have have a very strong incentive to do it. One, because yeah. it gets them elected. It just Again, you might not think it through too deeply. At first glance, it's mm-hmm. going to sound great because I just want to buy a house because, you know, call me crazy, I want I want some surety <laughs> of shelter. I want to live somewhere and raise a family yeah. like, you know, yeah. like what most people want to do. Um, uh, I can't do it. Oh, oh, that will allow me to do it. It sounds good. I'm I'm in favour mm-hmm. of that. Um, works, right? It works. It's, it's mm-hmm. a populist kind of play, but it, it, I mean, it, 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 it's – it fit for purpose in what it intends to do, which is cynically buy some votes. <laughs> it, a disaster in every other possible way. And if this yeah. goes through, well, goodness me. I mean, again, as I've said before, I know it, I'm 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 looking at things through my own lens. For someone out there who's geared to the eyeballs of twenty properties, I'm sure this news is like, yes, this is fantastic. Let let <laughs> let more people into the country. Yes, please let people have super. Yes, please give them more homeowner grants for it, it's of value to you. But I would still make the point structured in such a way you're still playing a game of chicken, right? Like it's all ethereal uh, until until you actually cash it out. It's it's not real, <laughs> and Correct. so. You know, I guess I guess you could see that that would be a good thing until that runs out of puff, and then they've got to you know do something else to do it, and then I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just it is 
no one really wins except for the person who's lucky enough to time it all in, in, in a way that's in their favour. And, and and by the way, so that's all true. And you're also rating super to do it. Yes. <laughs> so it's it's you know, and I I'm I'm not quite as negative of a property as you are, uh, but I, I accept everything you've just said. And you then retire with nothing. In super. Yeah. <laughs> so you pay more for a house. Everyone else pay more for a house, and you've got no super. So now what are we doing? Housing for we've, we've rated super. We've destroyed the super system, so we can pay a little bit more for houses. Yes. Then now everyone pays more for. So now it's no no longer any more affordable than it used to be. Everything goes up. By the way, I'm not a I'm not a big uh, proponent of the. Let me let me phrase this properly. I'm not as I'm not as hardcore about the money printing thing as other people. But you know how we got inflation at the moment. Some mm-hmm. of that is because we printed a whole lot of money, gave it all out, and the prices went up. How about that? If you give money wow. away, who would demand? What happens yep. in yep. the same level of supply? Prices go up. It's exactly what's going to happen. By the way, too, mate. Uh, the uh, the accessibility, the vacancy rates aren't being addressed by any of this. No. So we've got more more money chasing exactly the same number of houses. In fact, fewer vacant houses because we've got a, a larger population. It just it, it just turbocharges. I I want to be a little bit careful here because I want to avoid any any um, libel. So let's both do that, Andrew. I yes. Think this is a warning. Yes. Um, it's I'll also uh, the case that this is not the first time Andrew Bragg has tapped Super as the solution for something. And I do wonder at what point. Uh, it becomes an answer looking for a question, i.e. what can we use super for rather than, oh my God, housing affordability is so bad. I wish we didn't have to use super, but I guess that's all that's left. Yep. Yep. <sighs> You're uncharacteristically quiet about that. Um, Probably best. Uh, Probably best. Should, should we move on? <laughs> all I'll say is this as well, is that it, a couple – I'm going to mix up my dates here. But in the 90s, the average first home buyer was about 27, I believe. Now it's the 38, 39, something like that. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Because you've got to save up a, a – depo- I know, average, I know. It's really so the bad. The average yeah, home yeah. in Sydney is 1.2 million, right? <laughs> so you, you you need close to 300 grand here just for the deposit. Like yeah. you've got to you – know, it's hard, right? So no, no wonder it is. But just that point of even if we do – help get a bit of help with super and the rest of it if i'm getting and again this is the other phenomenon that's happening is we're extending the 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 longevity of mortgages as well yeah. so you can get yeah. 35 year mortgages now so it's just sort of like i'm literally 70 when i yeah. pay this down yeah on average mm-hmm. just i need to let that hang there for a moment right? <laughs> I, know, I know who's listening out here goes yeah Perfectly happy at sixty eight, still still trying to afford and 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 pay down my house, mm. but then again, it's just sort of like, well, okay, that's one thing. <laughs> For those that are that are speculating on on further price gains, you've actually got to make a bet that someone down the track that's right. is going to be prepared to work till seventy five, and then they have to be prepared for someone like just forget the money for a second and just make make it equivalent to hours worked or time mm. worked. You know, it's at some point it's just like then it's forty years you need to work. Yeah. And you're and you're the average first home owner is now 45, and it's going to take you 40 years to pay. We are very math. I mean, this is just maths. It's, I don't think it's controversial. You very quickly get to a point where it's just like you will have intergenerational mortgages. That's yeah. that's kind of where we're headed, unless yeah. something changes at this point. Madness, and no, no. Other than just to say it's madness for the 400th millionth I time know, as things continually go up, I, I don't know what else else to do other yeah. than other than just to point it out and say. And as you know, we're going through this process at the moment. We're looking mm-hmm. for, for houses, and it's just sort of it's very. I'm 
I'm very cognizant of that. So either I get some massive payday for, I don't know where it's going to, maybe Bitcoin goes to a million dollars or something. That's kind of what we're sort of needing to happen here at this point. Yeah. Or I'm, or you and I are doing this podcast in our late <laughs> 70s and I'm still ranting about how property is unaffordable. <laughs> well, the price have already gone up more than exactly. exactly. Yeah. Mate, you are, you are not that lucky for the price to have kept going up over 30 years. If you buy a house sometime soon, that'll, that's, be, that's, uh, that is the that'll be the top and we'll, exactly, we'll, be, yeah. we'll be good after that. Yeah. Um, yes, so uh, just, just again, I know you've taken the property angle and you're entirely welcome and correct to do so, but I'll just finish by saying hands off super. Uh, yes, the break. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate the, the idea to solve housing affordability affordability i would I, I did tweet during the week i said uh, andrew if you want to solve housing affordability i've got lots of options come and talk to me yeah if, if that's genuinely what you want to do i i would i will happily travel down to canberra i'll sit in a room we'll let's have a chat about some housing affordability solutions uh that don't actually necessarily involve super I, i'm yet to receive a response from from senator bragg i'm sure it's coming i'll tell you why oh, sorry okay one more one more very quick it is it drives me insane <laughs> here we we talk about affordability improving Mm-hmm. No one talks about prices coming that coming down. That's how you yeah, improve right, affordability. Right. And that is right, why right. you will never get a reply to that offer, mate, because he's not an idiot and he's going and he's like, mate, all you're going to do is come into my office and tell me how mm-hmm. property prices need to go down. And I am not going to let that happen. Anything I can do to avoid yeah. that, I am going to do to avoid that because no one, we are, we'll be lynched. We'll be mobbed mm-hmm. in the street. We'll have our arms torn out of our, our torsos. Like that is... That is the reality of it. And it's just it's such a bugbear of mine. Just, everyone talks about affordability. No one t- – even my even my 11-year-old gets that that means lower prices, but we can't say it out loud right? <laughs> or acknowledge the reality of it. That's what improve, improving affordability means, that, or the entire country gets a 30% pay rise. So, I don't know. Yeah, very ranty. <laughs> uh, mate, I want to talk a little bit about a story that's been kind of bubbling along and it's – in and of itself, not very interesting, uh, unless you happen to be an Origin Energy shareholder. But it's kind of, it's interesting, I think, at, at, a, at a macro level, not macro as in macroeconomics, but at a kind of, at a, it, it, it seems to me that things are starting to change a little bit. And this is fascinating to me for a whole lot of reasons. We've talked a lot about the, every now and again we get a question from someone who's read some fund manager who self-interestedly says, oh, those passive ETFs, they'll destroy the market and there'll be nothing left and then everything will go to hell. So don't do that. You know, get active stock picking and pay me fees to do it. <laughs> and you and I, despite the fact we actually do pick stocks ourselves, I do it for money, you do it with, uh, with your members. Uh, we both say that is complete tripe and yep. active pickers will be completely fine. The market will be completely fine. Don't worry about it. So there's that. Oh, and worse, no, worse than that on. or better than that. Go on. It's just like if you're there as an active stock picker complaining about something yeah. that's going to make the market more efficient, again, check yourself. But this is good exactly. for you. You want exactly. distortions in the market, right? Are you yeah. are you actually yeah. advocating that this is going to make the market more of <laughs> like less efficient? Like isn't that a good thing? That's anyway. right. That's right. So really the fund manager are all about us. They just want to help us be more efficient. That, that's really what they care such, about. Such um, nice so we talk about active versus passive a lot. And active is kind of those fund managers, you know, the Magellans and Perpetuals and Platinums and all those names that you've probably heard out there. They, they pick stocks. That's what they do. And then there's the passive ETFs that kind of do their thing. And for the longest time, mate, I'm going to say that generally speaking, I think most people consider superannuation as, a, as, a, as an industry, as a group, to be more kind of the passive side than the active side. I mean, yeah, they're kind of, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're buying stocks or they're, you know, a lot of the the um, the funds themselves actually sort of subcontract out that that stock picking to someone else, right? You might, if you're with a an industry super fund, they might have 
I don't know, a panel of fund managers. They might put 5% of their money with this manager and 10% with that manager and, and they get the overall results. And generally speaking, those funds are kind of managers of managers. You know, Their job is to pick other people to pick stocks for them, yeah. which I've got issues with it anyway, but that's a whole different story. Yeah. So that's kind of, they've been this kind of relatively, and not always, and people will be listening to saying, no, 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 they've been active for whatever. And you're right, you're right. But it, for, for, in terms of the market kind of participation, they're relatively passive kind of players. They're not, they're not out there making big stock calls. Over the last, I'm going to say, is it two months, three months? We've seen this origin takeover from Brookfield Asset Management out of Canada. Now, I'm not particularly excited about the idea. It's, it's a, I don't love the business anyway. It's an electricity generation, a retailing business. It's not going to be a super high quality business in my view. I could be entirely wrong. So, and not many people I know, I don't really care about the company itself. If you do and you're listening, then great. I'm glad you do. But, you know, we haven't talked about it a lot because just, it's a bit boring. Takeover, you know, latest news of the takeover. It's like, oh, who cares? The news, business papers love it, by the way. It's been written up by Just because of the, dr- about the, last the personal drama, weeks. that's all they care about. Oh, don't know. It's got a billionaire in there. Oh, it's, yeah. You know, it's just uh, electricity anyway. prices are topical, you know, anyway. But what I think is interesting, mate, and this is why I wanted to kind of bring it up because Australian Super has weighted in the deep end with a really big stick. And I can't remember the last time, and I'm sure it happened and maybe not happened a lot or very prominently or too many times, but Australian Super basically said, actually, no, we don't want this deal to go ahead. And they own, I think at last count, something like 16 or 17% of the company. It's far, far in excess of Australian Super's share of the overall market. In other words, they've taken a really, really big and specific bet against this one company. And Mm. I think it's interesting for a couple of reasons, mate. One is, firstly, what does it mean about Origin as a business? Why Mm. this one? Why do they care that much? Uh, secondly, part of me is impressed or at least happy that they've said, we're going to take a role on this. You know, most fund managers will happily say, this is a horrible generalization. Most fund managers will say, hey, this is returning at $10 last week. I get a takeover off of the 20% premium. I've just made a 20% gain in a day. Mm. I'm going to lock this in and tell my shareholders or my unit holders at the end of the quarter how smart I am and how much money I made them. Mm-hmm. So I will take any short-term win because, hey, it's a short-term win. So there's something about Australian Super saying, you know what, we knocked back a meaningful increase in the share price because mm. we think there's more value out there. And I mm. love that. It's what more, frankly, shareholders in general, fund managers in particular, should do is say, you know what, yes, I want to get a short-term gain, but if I'm genuinely here for my shareholders, my unit holders, my investors, I want them to make even more money. If I've got a, a dollar, dollar coin that was being offered for 50 cents last week and now someone's offering me 70 cents for the dollar, I'm going to hold on to it because I'm going to wait till it's worth it. I think it's worth a dollar. I'm not going to sell it for 70 cents just because it was worth less mm. a week ago. And that's so that's really, really great. I will also say, strikes me as interesting that Australian Super's uh, investment committee is happy to stick its neck out on this one. I mean, fast forward a year, if these shares are worth 30% less than they are now because the takeover premium goes away and there's a couple of bad results and all of a sudden Origins are another, you know, dud company. They, there's a massive reputational risk for the investment manager for Australian Super as a business. Mm. Uh, and so, and and the last one then I think, and I'll just you know, give you thoughts in general, but the last one is the, the just the changing role of superannuation funds. And I think I think it's worth commenting on because they've probably always been the kingmakers in the background. You know, they use these so-called proxy advisors, these, again, another bloody layer of, of bureaucracy, bureaucracy mm-hmm. and, and cost. Mm-hmm. The, the, the proxy advisors say, hey, we've reviewed the voting... Um, uh, the AGM resolutions, and we think you should vote this way. You'll hear com- the company saying that, you know, and, and and a lot of these big funds subscribe to them. So 
uh, CGI Glass Lewis is one of them. If they say, hey, you should vote against Andrew's re-election as the uh, grand poobar and, and benevolent dictator of strawman.com, uh, then most funds will say, okay, well, you've done the work and we're happy to outsource this to you. We'll vote against it because you said it was a good idea. Um, there's something really kind of meaningful about these guys saying, actually, we're going to go and make these calls for ourselves. We'll actually get involved rather than just doing whatever the proxy advisors do and maybe casting a vote for the board or maybe, you know, applying a bit of background pressure. Mm. This is really, really active involvement in a really big and uh, you know, public way. I don't know whether it's negative or not, mate. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I really have no view. I, I do like that. Someone's saying, hey, we're flogging off the national assets a little bit too cheap here. We've lost both our brewers. We've lost most of our food companies. Uh, you know, overseas investors with longer horizons say, well, if you don't think Foster's or CUB or, or Coca-Cola Amatil or whatever else are worth this money, Blackmore's, mm. we'll buy it because we've got long-term horizon. We'll take all those businesses away from you. We, we're happy yeah. to pay up. Yeah. And Australian investors kind of go, oh, well, okay, well, you gave me a premium. You gave me an extra dollar for the shares. Like, sure, you can have it. Okay, that makes sense. And the mm -hmm. other guy's like, well, you don't do the deal unless you think there's worth more on the table. So I like that someone's standing up saying, actually, let's not flog off the family the family silver too cheaply. But I'm also mindful this is a new, it's, it's a very, very new phenomenon. And I think as super funds keep getting bigger, it, it is something we'll see more of. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. I don't know what to make of it. I I I'm very much against it if you're taking an advocacy role for let's say ESG reasons. Mm -hmm. Um let me unpack that a little bit because I'm not that I'm against being ethical or <laughs> yeah. having good governance yeah. or anything yeah. like that, but it is a term and a mandate that is incredibly subjective, as we've talked about before, yeah. and it leads to all kinds of dumb decisions. The the main mandate for these super funds is to is to protect and nurture and grow the retirement savings of people. That's that's it, right? It's not there for you to take a political view. It happens to be one in many instances that I agree with. I personally feel as though we should be doing more for the environment, et cetera, et cetera. But there are often situations when decisions are made that A, against yeah. what I personally yeah. believe, and B, it's just not your job, like just no, get butt, butt <laughs> out. I mean, it, yeah. if, if you're taking a stance here because you – um, are incredibly good stock pickers and recognize the value and have a clear, reasoned, articulate thesis as to why the market will, in the not too distant future, recognize that value. Then I think actually that's hands off. I applaud you mm. because mm. you don't you don't want to be getting rid of. We should all be thinking like this, right? You don't want to be giving up giving up something that's more valuable um, than the offer is worth. That, that is, that is yeah, silly, right. right? Yeah, yeah. I just don't I, – I think that there are often other forces at sort of at play and that's what concerns me a little bit. I mean, I have the right as an individual shareholder to vote as I see fit at AGMs against certain things and resolutions and all the rest. I can have my sort of say – yeah, it's not much of a say compared to the stake that would happen. But again, I can form up with the Australian Shareholders Association. There's, there's yeah. things I can do, right? I just feel as though I'm not saying it's a perfect system, but I, when I start getting superannuation investment managers involved in that process, now I've got to think about, well, who's the best person to manage my money and who's the, the person that best represents my ethical and moral outlook on things? Like that mm. – Oh my gosh. It's just, do you know what I mean? Like, am I explaining oh, totally, myself clearly there? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, and yeah. this is, this is the, I mean, well, I, I've, I've, I've ranted before. I don't think ethical investing actually works, at least not any meaningful way. But as you say, even, even if you assume it does, that, that whole idea of my ESG, your, even, even among those who are diehard ESG fans, mm. 
you will get it's a bit like politics right uh, there's you know the, the people will tear down their own side for not being not being um ideological enough not being pure enough in their views yeah. and it's the same with esg investors you get the idea of like well what do you what do you mean you're investing in that thing they do that well they do that well that doesn't matter yes it does that matters and mm-hmm. you should do this and you should there's pro-social and there's anti-this and there's mm-hmm. you know just guns and tobacco or there's guns tobacco and alcohol guns yeah. tobacco alcohol and gambling guns tobacco mm-hmm. alcohol gambling and and around and around it goes right yeah. and you know consumerism well okay well, at that point you might as well give the whole thing away you know yes. what are you what are you left with yeah. um but you're right mate and that and that is it, it's it's by definition uh, impossible and I, I do wonder and it's interesting you know it it half goes back to your point before about, about people watching politics, right? There's a lot of people out there. This is, I own shares in Australian Ethical, I've said before, mm. and I see no issue with that at all because they're investing a certain way and people want to use that product. I wouldn't use the product. I would recommend people not use the product. I'm, I'm literally mm. speaking against my own investments here. You know, if, yeah. I, if I want to go and fill people's cans, like, go, on, go and invest in Australian Ethical, it's great, it's great, jump in, it's great. Oh, ethical investing is wonderful. Um, I unfortunately, mate, despite my my delusions of grandeur, I know that no one's going to listen to me. So it's yeah. literally, literally, as you say, like ethical investing sounds good. Wouldn't I rather be ethical or unethical? Of course I would. Okay, then if I've got some money to invest, I guess I'll invest it with these guys. Mm. But it doesn't work. Yeah, well, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. And it's better than doing nothing, right? Yeah. And I, I would say probably not. You would say probably. And But either way, it's, you know, um, yeah. it, it's going to happen. Regardless, because people don't want it. It's just better to think about it than not. It's it's. Can I can, – oh, this is a tangent. Can I share this with you, mate? I know you have a different view, so I will absolutely give you a chance to, to rebut it. But, okay. Um, you know I use the broker Perla. Um, oh, yeah, yep. And they sent out an infographic uh, with four Aussie ETFs. And they sent out uh, – so the, the Vanguard Australian Shares Index ETF, the Beta Shares ASX 200 ETF, the VanEck Australian Sustainable Equity ETF, so okay. sustainable is a keyword there, and the Beta Shares Australian Sustainable Leaders ETF. And this is they weren't making the point about ethical or not. There were just four options, right? I assume there's mm-hmm. a pro- there's a profitable, uh, sorry, there's a popular ETF. So they're kind of sharing the details. Uh, the I, I'm just not in the order they've listed up. Doing the order, of the order. So by by fee percentage, the Beta Shares ASX 200. Fee is 0.04%, 125th of 1%. Okay. Five-year annual return, 7.3%. Uh-huh. The Vanguard ETF, 0.07%. So it's still stupidly tiny, but yeah. meaningfully more. Yeah. Five-year annual return, 7.2%. <laughs> so a little bit higher fees, a little bit behind. Is it are, they, are these returns probably, probably net? Close. Sorry? Yes, yes. Yes, okay, yep. Then we go to the uh, VanEck Australian Sustainable Equity ETF, uh, management fee, 0.35%. Nine times the cost of the BetaShares product. Okay. Five times the cost of the Vanguard product. Five-year annual return, 6%. Yeah. Not 7.3, but 6 Okay. Then there's the BetaShares uh, Australian Future Australian Sustainability Leaders Index. Oh, sorry, the BetaShares Australian Sustainability Leaders ETF, it's called. Uh, fee, 0.49%. So 12 times Oof. as expensive as the beta shares product, seven times as expensive as the Vanguard product, their five-year annual return, 4.6%. Now, I'm not saying this couldn't have been different. I'm not saying that five years is necessarily representative. I'm just saying that we've also, we've said a million times, mate, you and I, if you can't control anything, at least control your fees. Yep. And the fees aren't directly correlated to this either. It's not the only difference here. Yep. Except if you compound half a percent for five years, Mm. That starts to take a decent chunk out of your money, right? Compared to 0.04% per year. Yep. Compound that for five years. Now, again, five years is not long. 
Uh, and again, this could change and blah, 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 blah. Um, I just, I just, I got it. I was like, I, I'm not making a big deal because it's a short period. And I, you know, as much as I don't think ethical investing is super worthwhile, I, I don't hate it either. I don't have a problem with people doing it if they want to. Other than if you're paying a squillion dollars more in fees and getting a lower return, that's hard to, to support. Oh, it's in, yeah, I've got nothing against that. I, against what you said, I'm I'm on board with all of that. I mean, it shows you how cynical it is. I mean, this is the genius of word. it of of the of the move. It's like the <laughs> the branding of saying sustainable and ethical and all the. I mean, what right minded person is going to have a problem with that? Like, of course, I want to be ethical. Of course, I want to be sustainable. Right? right? Yeah, like, it's, it's it, most obvious. You know, it's it, it. This should be the easiest marketing thing in the world, by the way. Yes. Who doesn't want to? Yes. Well, you know. I'm going to have the, uh, can I? No, actually, you know what? Give me the ASX 200 Killing Babies Fund, please. That's the one I'm going to go for. Like, of course, of course, yep. right? Yep. It's true. And it, but it's just, so I've got, I've got no problem against anything that you said. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's, it's why does it cost that much extra? I don't know. Correct. And B, what is your? I bet you origins in all of those funds, right? Yeah, probably is. Now, I don't I, know. I, again, this, I don't this know, is the problem yeah. because people are going, "Well, yeah, why wouldn't it be in there?" It's like, well, you know, they they do right, a lot they of gas, should. they do Correct. a lot of fossil fuel. You know, now yeah. again, other people will have a different view on that. But they're going green. Well, where's the line between exactly? Yeah, totally. Yeah. How much of their? You know, and again, and again yep. it's, it's 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 beside the point. The point yep. is, is that we can have a debate. Yes. That's the point. That yes. is, is yes. it's not. It's not like this is a clear cut thing that is ethical and sustainable. That mm -hmm. isn't. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 clearly not. And just back on origin, it's just sort of like the thing I've always thought. I, I don't know it well. I'm not following it closely because why would I? Right? Like this is a company <laughs> that is a dis well a disaster is too strong a word, but like yes, mediocre <laughs> is putting it nicely. You could be a yep. long long term investor in this and have done nothing except lag the wider market, lag CPI, frankly, mm -hmm. over, a, over a long enough period, over 10 years, I think it's just been, it's actually, the shares are still down there. I mean, they, they have a return on equity that's less than, than what you get in an ETF, frankly. <laughs> you know, so I'm buying this yep, thing in, okay. in late 2013 for $12 and now it's $8 and yeah, okay, I've got some dividends along the way. It's like massively capital intensive, massive regulatory over, like a burden on top of this thing, massively dynamic, rapidly changing industry. Like wh wh why? I don't know. Can someone explain to me why I'm interested in this? Like it just. It, <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like, is it yeah. worse on the ASICs? Yeah, a lot worse, but it's a lot better as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, off, off, off the point there, other than just to say that there is a lot of nonsense in this area. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. How do you feel about superannuation funds becoming more active on the ASX? Does no, it, I'm not a fan. Is it just another another no. fund and who cares what they're doing? Is it matter because it's super? Um, I mean, they're kind of probably going to buy longer life assets. We've seen them actually privatise. Is it Australian Super bought Sydney Airport in consortium? It might be, I think. Um, maybe, um, yeah. I mean, they are becoming bigger and bigger players. Do, do you care? Do we care? Does it change the market? Does it change the opportunity? Does it add risk? Or is it just yeah. one of those, eh, who cares? I generally have the view that there is a lot of wasted time and effort in the finance sector more broadly. <laughs> yep. I mean, it is It is when you, I forget, I think this might be an American stat, although I'm sure it holds true that it, going into finance is one of the top three desired vocations for university <laughs> graduates. Yeah. Why? Because it pays really well. That's where the money is, yeah. Now, so does being a surgeon, 
and so does being certain types of engineers and the rest of it. The difference is those people actually create real value <laughs> for society. They do a real thing, yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. whereas and, – and there is oh, – look, I should be careful here. There, there is the efficient, sensible allocation of capital is actually a really important thing. So I'm, I'm glad that there are, at least in theory, experts out there who are focused on that because it, it's actually a, a, a big kind of deal. I would just say that there is so much – hot air and rubbish in here. It's like how, you know, what I would do is basically just say, we just have one giant sovereign wealth fund. It's basically an ETF. That's yeah. your choice. That's yeah. your choice. Now, people will be up and down. It's an incredibly controversial statement. Um, but I would say is, yeah, but think about how much money we save in fees oh, each year. Fortune. Think about Absolute the brains fortune. that we unleash onto the wider economy. Like you just you stop yep. having this, this this brain drain that just goes into this useless thing of finance, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and dare I suspect, backed by every research ever conducted in this field since, you know, Adam was a boy, mm-hmm. we get better returns on a net on a fee-adjusted basis. So, so it, that, that would be the better return. Yeah. I, I, I will say one more time, I think I mentioned I'm sure I mentioned it before. Warren Buffett's written a great essay about this in his Berkshire Hathaway letters. Uh, Google, uh, so it's helpers, and Got Rocks, one word. Got love Warren. It's a bit, it's a bit hokey and whatever. The yeah. Got Rocks family is kind of the, the people he talks about. But uh, do yourself a favor, Google that. Warren Buffett, Berkshire, Got Rocks, Helpers. I, I sure that string will get you somewhere close. Yeah. Um, exactly your point, mate. We, we as investors get the entire return of the ASX as a whole, mm-hmm. less whatever we pay in fees. Yep. So if we paid half the fees, yeah. every ASX investor on average in total, and not everyone would win, but you get the idea, everyone would be, as a group, we'd be better off because we wouldn't, wouldn't have, have that money being siphoned off to the, the so-called helpers. Mate, these investment bankers don't need another Audi. You know, they, they're okay. <laughs> they're, they're all right. Dude, they, 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 they're only buying Audis for their housekeepers and, and kids. That, do, sorry, one of them, I'm way behind the time. They're, they're, they're not buying Audis. Yeah, that were very, very good point. But, but I mean, <laughs> what a, that, that, that's the thing to remember is that money comes from somewhere. Right, it comes yes, from you. Exactly. Yes, and exactly. it goes to them. Yep. And again, there's no. I don't think any capitalist would ever begrudge anyone earning a fair day's pay for a fair day's effort. You know, it's like, hey, you've created real value. You deserve it. And, I, and this is where I can sort of say there are some CEOs who are worth the squillions that they're paid. Like, mm-hmm. absolutely. But but generally speaking, this is, you look at all the big super funds and like what if you all disappeared tomorrow and you replaced yeah. it with our strategy? <laughs> exactly. I mean, what 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 is what are we losing here as a civilization? I don't think I think we're yes. gaining something yes. massively. And and now I think when you start, it's very clever in a way when you start getting into these other areas like, well, not only do we manage and steer your capital, but we're also a force for good because look how we're using our powers to influence all these. And you you start getting what sounds like more and more centrally controlled economies, (laughs) which I have a problem with. Uh, I think history and reason and logic could have a a problem with, with a lot of that stuff. It just, it just takes us, it takes us in a direction. I don't think I'm a fan of to put a, put a uh, bluntly. I think it's very well put. Mate, I want to finish off today with something very different. We're getting towards the end of the year and I don't remember why I was thinking this, but you've talked a bit about strawman.com, which apparently is a young... <laughs> anyway, it, Almost it'll, it'll come it. to me. It'll yeah. come to me. Uh, I won't ask you. I'll, I'll just work on it myself. Um, <laughs> and it's, 
you talked a little bit about, in the, I'm sure you've done it publicly, you've certainly talked about it privately. You know, if you if you had a mate who said, "Oh, I've got this, I've got this little business and it's only worth this much," and you know, when you when you invest in small caps, you, you know, you say, "Well, if a, if a bloke met me at the pub and said, oh, I've got this business that turns around eighty million dollars a year and I make five million dollars a year in profit," you'd be like, "Man, that's amazing!" You're like, "Oh, it's only a little tiny small cap business. It's only a micro cap, yeah, right? Five million dollars a year in profit. That's amazing." Yeah. So so that's all we've talked about that a lot, and it and it occurred to me oh, a couple of weeks ago as I was thinking about that, just thinking. Your investment approach is is pretty, you know, you and I are different. We have the same approach. We apply, same-ish approach. We apply it in different parts of the market and we have different preferences in terms of company styles and stuff. And hopefully that makes for a good podcast. But I thought to myself, you're also a serial entrepreneur. This is not, strongman.com is not the first business you've run. And I, I wondered how, as you've gone through the process, particularly of strawman, where you had you have higher aspirations for it relative to your previous businesses. You're in, you're, you're in a national marketplace being an online business by definition, which gives you more opportunity. You've, you've rubbed shoulders with people in the VC field, angel investors and all that kind of stuff. And I'm curious, mate, Sp- to what extent, time, if at all- Speaking of time wasters, but yes, go on. <laughs> I'm, I'm, interested, um, I'm interested to what degree your investment approach has actually been altered, improved, changed, redirected by that experience as an entrepreneur. Yeah. I, I you mentioned this to me. I, I really love loved that framing. I think it has helped. There's a there's a phrase from speaking of Buffett that I'm very fond of, which is he said, I'm gonna butcher it. You'll correct me. It, um, I'm a better investor because I'm a businessman. I'm a better businessman because I'm an investor. Spot is, on. Is, is that it? Okay, yeah. Yes. And I, I think that's I think that is very true because as we often say, these aren't just ticker symbols or you know, and a wiggly line on a chart. There's a real business there. Yeah. And I think there's no better teacher than than practice, right? So yeah. having yes. having run some businesses, you you get you can read all the books in the world, but you definitely learn a lot. Mm. And I think those lessons carry through to your investing and in reverse, having been a student of business and invested in many right. different types of businesses, I know when I make decisions for my business, um, I'm guided by those. I mean, I'm not mm. running a $400 million you know, multinational kind of company, but I can see what those kind of companies have done and what has worked and what hasn't worked. And mm. I think it's always better to let others make the mistake. And you, it's better to learn from others' mistakes than to learn from your mistakes. <laughs> yes. I, will, I will say one, one lesson is probably stickier and, and more real, but at least the other one's less painful, right? <laughs> That's right. Um, Mentally, emotionally, and, and financially, oh, yes. Oh, gosh. So I think it definitely has. Mm-hmm. Um I've, I, I also realized a little while ago too that the, um, and I think anyone listening to this who's gone through this journey will hopefully will resonate with them is that I think it's very, money is the language of business, right? Mm. That's the goal. I want to, I want to maximize profit. And that's true, but I think the long, maybe it's just an age thing, but the older I get, the more I've realized that actually that isn't it. I'm doing every a million things wrong if that was the main goal. And I've recognized that sometimes less is more. You know, for me, I think we've used the phrase before lifestyle business. (laughs) And that's what it is, right? I sort of like, I've got all my money invested in the market. I'm, I'm as much wanting to run straw man as 
to get the benefits of membership as opposed to what the business itself generates because it doesn't generate a lot as much as I wish it was 50 <laughs> times more. But it pays the bills, right? And that's yeah, it. Yeah. And I could. I could do this. I could do that. We could have a different tiered offering. We could do some newsletter stuff. We could do this. We could do that. We, we, we just don't. And, and, and the reason I don't is because it does what it needs to do. And for me as an individual, lifestyle is super important. The fact that I can go for a walk and pick up the kids from school and get my hair cut in the middle of the day or what all, and, you know, these, these are these are really, really, really important to me. And um, so where am I going with all of this? I think what what I've, I've had this lesson reinforced lately too is was particularly when you see a lot of the mistakes that have been made in small cap land where a lot of companies have grown themselves broke which is a saying I'd heard years yes. ago on a network. Like, yeah. how do you yeah. grow? That's, it seems like an oxymoron. How do you yeah. grow yourself broke? Like growth is good, right? And you see that what happens is, is that usually almost always the male ego gets involved and you want mm-hmm. it to be bigger and better. And, you know, it's nice to be the founder and CEO of a company that, you know, <laughs> puts a hundred grand in your pocket each year. It's much yep. better to be one that puts a million dollars in your pocket each <laughs> exactly. year and is in yes. four different continents and the rest of it. The, yes. the trouble is, is that you, you, you can very easily get into situations where your revenue grows. Maybe even the market value is determined by some idiot VC or whatever has grown as well. But in terms of actual growth in real free cash flow, in terms of growth, in terms of what we talked recently about the concept of internal rate of return and all the rest mm-hmm. of it, it often actually a lot of the efforts that have been made in, in small cap land in particular, very counterproductive to the, to the <laughs> idea of increasing value as, as perhaps best measured by rising per share earnings um, for the business. Um, and so I've, I've taken that lesson to heart as well. I, I, I think be, guard what you have right, and don't risk it for things that you could have, which might be nice, but aren't essential. So I'm very, I'm very, I'm very hyper aware of the downside as well. I don't want to take all these risks to make my ego feel a little bit better when I could jeopardize everything that took years and years and a lot of stress and a lot of money to build. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So that's yeah, a rambly answer all yeah. over the all over the case no, it's, point. It's but I do I very much I very much find that the there is a bi-directional nature there, whether it be investing mm. helping business or business helping investing. I find that that massive. <laughs> the mm. the best way to learn is to do. Have you thought about, from, from that perspective, mate, I guess, as you say, fate is always, you know, a, a knock on the door away or a, or a 2 a.m., you know, sleepless night uh, away. On the other hand, the upside is, is massive. Are you likely to keep management on a shorter leash, a longer leash? Has that changed at all? I guess I'm thinking about the, on one hand, you know what it's like to make some business decisions and maybe get some wrong and get a lot right and, uh, there's something about you know oh, yeah. kind of taking yeah. some risks and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, having worked so hard to do, you know, to build straw man, have you have you thought about how that kind of plays out? It, has has it yes. changed your approach to, to risk taking and, and, and management teams? It, I, I'm I'm actually well, I, it, almost to a to a point where it's a flaw. In fact, okay. where I I'm very sympathetic towards management. I think it's mm. easy for the market. We've talked about this often. In fact, where Management makes some decisions that don't work out well and the investor reaction can be brutal. <laughs> and, you know, we shouldn't feel too sorry for these individuals. They're paid extraordinarily well 
And a lot of these decisions were dumb at the time, not just in, in hindsight. So I'm not trying to say, oh, leave the poor CEOs alone. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, there's been a bunch of decisions I made which were really dumb. Mm. And I can tell you, if had you asked me at the time, as a, if you were a shareholder, why are you doing this? I'd say, oh, I'm doing it because of this. <laughs> and it was, all, it, was all, it was all good intention. I'm not trying to con. I, I mean, I, re, I genuinely thought this was a good decision. And you know what? It ended up being a bad decision. Mm. And you see that happen where I think too often the board's too quick to fire the CEO when it's just sort of like, I think anyone who's actually been in business recognizes that you, you, you often don't know until you try. And, and a lot of things are going to end up being bad mistakes. And I, I think you can point to the, you know, I don't know if we point to Tim Cook or I don't know, name your, your guru CEO out there. And I, 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 you show me a CEO that's never made a mistake and I'll show you a liar, right? Like it just, it happens all the time. And I, I feel as though I'm pretty, pretty um, sanguine when it comes to that with, with CEOs. Where I have less tolerance is where it was after the fact there's no ownership of the mistake and there's no clear path out of it. It's everyone's fault except for mine and how could we have possibly <laughs> right. known? And here yeah. we're now we're going to do something else which seems to me like you're making the exact same. Like that is a very big red flag, you know, fool me once, shame on you type thing, fool me twice, shame on me. And, and I, I think we all as investors have to recognise that when things go wrong, it's not because the CEO was an idiot or stupid or corrupt. <laughs> and I would, I would actually go the other direction as well. Where I've, I wish, I wish I could point to myself as an example here, but <laughs> I can't. Where, where people have done some things that worked out incredibly well, right? Yeah, like yeah. just like, like surprise themselves, wildest dreams kind of stuff. Right place. I think you recognise too that there's so much luck in business, mm. and. And I, I said to you a while ago, I used to read a lot of biographies, autobiographies from CEOs, and they're all a waste of time, I think. Yeah. They're just, I completely agree. They're interesting for the story, but it's, oh, I yeah. worked yeah. hard and I saw this and I took this risk. All you like, had to do was exactly, yeah, no, yeah that's right. That's right. It, it just, it's the problem of, of, of uh, survivorship bias mm. where it's like, I'm not saying you didn't work hard. I'm not saying you're not <laughs> smart. There's, there's plenty of very smart, hardworking people whose businesses collapsed three years in. Like, yes, yes. Be, because- because it just it's very 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 hard and and things come at you that, that you that you can't foresee um but but you, you sometimes just land on it right and you're just like oh my I was the guy that decided to do um streaming just as the internet infrastructure got to a point where it could sustain that you know whereas the guy who did quick flicks, three years before was like the biggest idiot in the world where you're now on the cover of Forbes magazine. Where it's like uh-huh, the 100%. only difference was one of timing, right? And and so you've, uh, what am I saying here? On both sides, sometimes you see some small caps do incredibly well and the CEO's lauded as some genius, you know. And again, I don't want to take anything away from them, but I, I, I'm, I try to be, I think, a waffly way of answering, I think, Having had the experience of running a business, you you start to recognise that on both directions, luck plays an important role, <laughs> and that's that's fine. There's not much you can do about that, but I think it it behooves you to be honest in recognising your good fortune when it comes, 
and recognizing as an investor and being a little bit more tolerant when things go bad that it was okay it was a mistake let's pick ourselves up and let's let's dust ourselves off and let's let's keep going it's also why you never bet the company you know don't never put yourself in an existential risk because you might be able to grow the business by two or threefold you know it seems and it's just surprising, especially when you, we speak to a lot of CEOs at Strongman, where it's like, wow, this guy's paid this much and he's in charge of a, <laughs> you know, a company that's worth yeah, $500 yeah. million. It's like, yeah. they're, they're, you know, they put their pants on one leg at a time, like, you know, as the old saying goes. And and you just, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I'm, ju- I'm just trying to say you you get hopefully a bit more of a, a realist's view of things. You take some of the shine away from from the from the gurus and you're more tolerant of the charlatans yeah yeah, yeah. i uh i not this is not it's not about me it's about you but i have so you're right about the i i've used that better businessman because i'm an investor and vice versa line a lot for me because i spent a lot of time in in industry working for kind of um fast moving consumer goods or kind of packaged goods companies so heinz and woolworths and diageo and alcohol company um whole other blackmores whole of others besides and I I think I was I, d- I did a better job at work because I was an investor because I thought about the world through that lens. I'm also sure that that experience helped me think about the sort of situations companies find themselves in. Mm. One thing I'm always really allergic to is the analyst who thinks they know better than management. Yeah, yes. They're like, well, no, I've seen this and you should do that. Yeah. And I kind of the hubris that required for someone who who rides a desk for a bit for a job saying to the boss of a manufacturing business, you know what you should do? You should do this thing. And I've never done it myself, right? right? I've and, never and done that myself. Not only that, but right. I've never been in business. I, I, got my, I got my fancy you know, finance degree and then I got my fancy you know, qualification at Kaplan or for Fincy or whatever. And now I'm running a desk and, and somehow I think I'm, I know what's going on. Mm. And I've always found that and the, the, the absolutism of that, I, I, honestly, I, I find it personally off-putting, but professionally, yeah. An analyst who doesn't realize what they don't know is really dangerous. And I've got to say, I think a lot of management teams uh, are very good to basically hear people like you and I out when we yeah. want to actually talk to them or ask questions. Yeah. I think the capital allocation thing is something investors tend to be better at than most managers. Yep. But I yes. do find that whole idea of yes. like, obviously the strategy you should pursue is X. Like really? <laughs> you know our customers and suppliers and our product materials and you know yeah. our operations and our, you know, it's, I just find that really, really frustrating. Has that been something you've kind of noticed or, or, or bristled at? Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. And the other, the other one I think is there's, there's the, from the analyst class, there's the lack of recognition that there's no such thing as an overnight success. Like my, <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite sayings is it's the overnight success that was 10 years in the making. Yeah. Do you know? And it's sort of like, oh gosh, there's some good examples on the ASX. I think maybe XRF Scientific, um, LaserBond. Um, they almost all are by definition, mate. There's, you know, well, even, even the ones that have been on a steady path still took a while. Even when you compound, you know, you yeah. you start with one, then you go to two to four to eight to six. I think a hundred looks like genius. You've got to start, everyone's got to start at one. Oh. Whatever whatever point you list at the, you know, on the market. Um, Dicker Data's another one probably yeah, yes, ARB. Yes, I mean, yes. these are all little, you know, Nicheish businesses that that started off doing a thing, and they kind of went, oh, maybe we should do more of that. And maybe maybe this could work, and maybe I can find a way to deal with customers and 
you know, supplied 100%. differently and away you go. And and and, and it's just this, I, so you, I dial into quite a number of analyst calls and that and they'll say, well, you know, your free cash flow was down 0.3 of 1%. I notice in <laughs> 0.4 of the notes to the financial statements that you've, uh, you know, changed your amortization schedule. And it's just like, oh my God, you're so into the weeds. You can't yeah. see what's in front of your face. And, 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 and here's a, as a person running the business is like, well, mate, we got to grow and that requires more plant and equipment and that takes money to buy mm-hmm. and then install and then set up and run and then staff. And it's just like, and all of this costs money. We spend money today in the hope mm-hmm. that more money comes back in the future. And you're looking at this one quarterly period where this happened <laughs> to be down. Like, where do you, how, how else do I grow without expanding my resources? Right? Like I need salespeople out there in the field to generate sales. I need operations people to make sure that my customers are served. I'm, these, are decisions that I make now on the best information that I've got available now that if I am right will prove the correctness of their rightness <laughs> two years from now. And and I, I think that is a huge thing for for, for me as well. Like so a very quick story as I've mentioned to you before, we're looking at buying a house. We've had to go through the banks and the mortgage brokers to sort of reveal our bare our souls to the to these people and show everything. <laughs> and, you know, people who work at a bank, you'd think it'd be better. And they look at your financial statements and they go, what the hell? Oh, so what we've done, we've got a very small shareholder base. We recapitalized, we paid a special dividend and we did this and that. Oh, no, uh, yeah, but there was no profit. Yeah, but that was because of this. And I didn't pay myself a salary that year. So that's why the profit looks insane. But the next year I sort of paid equivalent of two. And, you know, you're just explaining it to someone in a, from a standpoint of, this is a perfectly logical and rational decision for this and you're missing the forest for the trees. But how easy that kind of stuff is just missed. And it's like, I don't know how to explain this any easier. I think anyone who's run a business is like, oh yeah, oh, that makes perfect sense as to why you would why you would do that. Um, actually, you know, one of the things that got us over the line was the cash balance in the business. Right. And I was sort of like, because I've just left it there. I haven't just paid it out yet. It's not, and I remember saying, oh yeah, but that's that's six months of pay Mm-hmm. And I've also got to invest in some more development. And we also have this annual contract mm-hmm. with Standard and Paul's for our data and this and that. Yeah. But it was like, yeah, but that's cash there now. Well, <laughs> yeah, yes. But <laughs> let me, let's back up. Let's back up. Watch my lips. This is what I'm explaining <laughs> to you now. This money is not going to be to earmarked, right? It's going to be spent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's good. The bank will love this. Now, right? Yeah. yeah okay. But I, it won't be there next month. I don't need to know that. Like sometimes your brain just breaks a little bit when you're having these conversations. And obviously I think that the situation there is, you know, don't ask the barber if you need a haircut there, <laughs> show me the incentive. I'll show you the outcome, all yes, of that exactly. kind of stuff. But, exactly. but you do see that though with the analyst and broking class yeah. where they are, they, they have this skill set of, <laughs> of being able to read financial statements and they, there's this great saying, which is the map is not the territory. There's yeah, a beautiful nice. bit of artwork from French. There's a picture of a pipe, and I can't say it in French, but it's in French it says, this is not a pipe. Right. It's a picture of a pipe. The map is yeah, not the yeah. territory. Yeah. So the financial statements are really important. They tell you huge amounts. I'm not saying for a second, don't look at them. But it's, it's, it's the map. It's not the territory. And, and, the, and the, the sheer lack of people, I think, who haven't had the real-world business experience, they, they lose themselves in the abstraction that is the accounting and they, and they lose themselves within the confines of a given reporting period, whether that be a quarter, a half, or a year, that they, they don't step back and, 
and understand. I've done, again, I'm not complaining. I've done very well out of this epiphany and insight. Um, <laughs> you and I have to, I, I don't want to say the company because it's too small and illiquid, but for years they've, it's doubled in the last Three months. I'm very happy oh, wow. with it. It's still very oh, cheap, right? <laughs> but 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 by the way, I sat on that for 18 months. It didn't do a yes. damn thing, right? right. Yeah. And it yeah. just and, and and I'm not I'm really not trying to say I'm I'm clever here because there's plenty of others that did the exact opposite. But but what inside information did I have? None. Zero. It was all there. Management said we're doing this. Okay. And well well, how come? How come this hasn't happened? Oh, because we did that. Oh, okay. And when we divested that, oh, you know, listen to what these people are telling you. Look at the evidence here, right? Y- yes, free cash flow went down this year. Yes, their sales were stagnant in this this particular period. But but it's it's and this is why I often say to you, mate, it's like I think scans are a waste of time more often than not. You know, when you people get people love the ability to sort of filter markets and scan it. And if I didn't, some combination of metrics exist out there that if I could only filter for that, the computer can tell me what to invest in. And it's, it doesn't work like that. And, and being a good investor means being a student of business and, and, and having a direct experience is the best sort of way to be a student of business. But you will, you will very quickly get to the recognition that there are things happening in the real world, capital allocation decisions that have a lag, that have opportunity costs, that have consequences, that all translate into an increase or decrease capacity to generate cash in the future. And if you can get a sense of that, even though the market was guaranteed not to recognize at the moment that you buy it, like it, it will take time, it's a massive, it's a massive, massive edge. And, and, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I've probably made the point. It, it, it's, it's, it's trying to be too much like an analyst that is going to be your undoing. And put it this way: all of them are working for their money; they're not investing for their money. <laughs> that's right. right. That's also true. I think it's interesting, mate. The uh, I think that's right. The, the other, just quick as a, as an aside, as almost a corollary to your point is. Uh, not only that, beware the beware the management who says to the analyst, "I oh, actually, good point. Yeah, you'll like me more if I do what you say." No, oh, um, because you, know, so you, want, true. you want management to say, "Dude, I hear you, but I'm doing it differently because no. this works." As yep. opposed to, "I get it, the quarterly number. Okay, I'll do this differently." Yep. Then uh, that's when you do get that sort of long term stuff. I can't I can't tell you how many times I've meant that exact point to management because they will say in the interview, thinking that it's what we want to hear. Oh, we've heard from the market that that, you know, we need to do this. And so we're really putting an effort on cost control. <laughs> right. now, now, whether or not that's a good or bad idea is a separate thing. Doing it just because the market told you to isn't, I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't listen to us. Tell us what you're going to, we will make our decision as to whether or not we want to join you on this journey or not. Mm-hmm. But if you're going, the trouble with listening to investors is investors don't know what they want except for immediate and easy riches. And, <laughs> that's you know. going to be different too, by the way. That, that's it. I, I want that. I want it tomorrow. Um, I want <laughs> it. Right. I want. I Without want risk. Yeah, and I want. This is kind of everyone's talking about uh, AI. So now it's AI, and and now they're talking about and SaaS. And so I want yeah. it to be this, and I want this buzzword, and I want that buzzword, and I just it is it is. I love it. Love it. Capital L. Love it when a management team will push back and go. No, we are not doing that. And I tell you why we're not doing it. We're doing this. In fact, I'm making a decision here that is actually going to send our profits backwards for the next two years. 
Now I'm interested. You might still be wrong in your strategy. I'm like, but here is an independent thinker who's not just blowing whatever way the wind blows. They're going in a, in a very, very deliberate direction and they're making decisions that go beyond a, 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 a fairly narrow time frame. They're rare. They're really in the exception. But, but Jen, you, you make the point often that founder in, founder-led companies are better companies and I think that's true because – there are people who are making, they're not professional managers, they're making decisions based on the long-term value creation of, of some of the capital allocation decisions that, that, that they are making. And lo and behold, tends to work out more often than it doesn't than the person who's just trying to look really smart to a bunch of 28-year-old brokers next quarter. Never works, never ends well. I think that's a very, very good place. Speaking of ending, to finish our <laughs> podcast, I made uh, fascinating insights into into the world of an entrepreneur and how that's changed your uh, your investing. So, really, really appreciate you sharing a bit of a bit of honest feedback from from your own experience. Will you join me on Sunday? Mate, if you if you ever give me a chance to talk about myself, <laughs> enough about I'll, me. I'll what do there. you think about me? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, we may or may not. I'm I just have to. I'll keep you in suspense, mate. I may ask you about it on Sunday. I may not. And listeners will have to just wait and see. Until then, have a great weekend and fool on. See you later. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.